Welcome back to the North Shore Fellowship Podcast, a place to explore the intersection of God's story with our lives. Welcome back, everyone. This is Jason. I'm here today with Heather and a very special guest we'll introduce in a moment. This is a bonus episode of our podcast. Most of our listeners might know that Tolkien was not just a fantasy writer for his day job. He was a linguist, and he he worked on a translation of the English Bible called the Jerusalem Bible back in the 1960s. And he got ready for this project by learning a whole bunch of Hebrew. He wrote a letter to his grandson, Michael George, and he said, I'm at present immersed in Hebrew. If you want a beautiful but idiotic alphabet in a language so difficult that it makes Latin or even Greek seem footling, which I think means easy, but also glimpses into a past that makes Homer seem recent, that is the stuff, exclamation point. I hope when I retire to get included in a new Bible translation team that is brewing. I have passed the test with a version of the book of Jonah, not from Hebrew direct. So Tolkien went to work on uh, learning Hebrew and discovered it to be quite challenging. Uh, I think it's harder than Greek myself, but there are some beautiful facets of it. Uh, and we couldn't get Tolkien on the podcast with us today, so uh, we uh, combed around and we found Roger Lambert, uh, one of our uh, favorite uh, parishioners here at North Shore. Uh, Roger, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? What did you do for a living? Well, I uh, worked on the mission field in uh, uh, Chile for uh, 13 years and then uh, spent the rest of my time at uh, Covenant College. And you did a couple of things up there at Covenant. Uh, what were some of the courses that you taught? Well, I taught uh, biblical languages, Hebrew and Greek, and uh, specialized in Old Testament and uh, some missions courses. So what this means is that a lot of my friends around the denomination uh, studied with Roger and owe some of their language facility with the biblical languages to, to his great work. And uh, we, uh, we still benefit from Roger from time to time, picking his brain uh, around uh, the preaching team and at other times here at North Shore. Dr. Lambert was my first Bible teacher at Covenant College, so he taught not only people that were going to go to seminary and study Greek and Hebrew, but also uh, just your average students who got to um, hear God's Word from him and learn how to read the Old Testament, so very thankful for that. So a couple weeks ago in preaching team, uh, Jason, you asked Roger if he would share with us sometime on a podcast some of his favorite Hebrew words, and we thought that would just be a great idea to be able to share with everyone some of the words that you treasure and also what they mean and how we can grow in our understanding of reading God's Word through that. Yeah, and to clarify, these are not the most uh, used words in the Hebrew Old Testament, uh, maybe not even the most significant for understanding the overall theology, but these are just words that are personally near and dear to uh, Roger's heart. Roger? I'd like to make a couple of comments on language in general before uh, we, we hit the words. Language is a part of culture, and it affects everything else in the culture. You can say anything in any language. It just takes longer to say it in some languages. Each language makes it easier to say some things and think some, some things. Hebrew is uh, particularly geared toward um, facility uh, using just... One word for a lot of different concepts. 
Uh, I guess the first word I'd like to bring up is uh, the word hesed, which means something like uh, steadfast love, faithfulness, devotion, covenant loyalty, used in all kinds of contexts. It comes up about 250 times in the Old Testament. And that word is often attached to Yahweh and his actions towards his people, correct? Uh, the, the words that I've chosen uh, tell us about God and uh, what he will give us. And it also describes uh, our proper response to God's. And Hesed is, is a great one to start with. So this is describing God's character, uh, what he does for his people, but it, it also uh, describes like how we're supposed to respond, how we're supposed to treat one another. We're supposed to reflect Yahweh, right? That's right. Here's a couple of uh, quotes that uh, give us a taste of how, how that word is used. In Isaiah 40, verse 6, a voice cries out, uh, I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. Here, uh, the word hesed comes up uh, not as covenant love, but uh, translators uh, thought faithfulness was the good word. We're very flighty, but God is not. He's he's consistent. Wow. Uh, Jeremiah 33, which is a wonderful chapter on uh, uh, what God is going to do for his people. Uh, in verse 11, it says, Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then getting around to what God wants us to do, uh, Hosea 6 says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So Hesed being the, the steadfast love there, being yeah. love that, that sticks to the task that it's been given. Is that that's, how you... that's correct. One of the most famous quotes for the word Hesed is in Isaiah, is in Micah 6.8. He's shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, there it is, hesed, and to walk humbly with your God. And then Micah seven eighteen, uh, the next chapter, it switches back over to God's character and uses hesed to describe Yahweh's character again. I uh, love that, that back and forth, right? This is who God yeah, is. This yeah. is what he wants us to be. And then also the acknowledgement, as you pointed out, in Isaiah 40, that we, we fail to do this uh, in, a, in a godlike fashion. So you said that you can say anything in any language. It just takes longer to say in some languages. And it seems to me like what you're saying is that hesed takes longer to say in our language and that we need to be studying all these verses to have a full understanding of what hesed means. That is an excellent application. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Sounds like a, she was a really good student. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty important to point out that um, words don't carry uh, all dimensions of their meaning every time that you use them. So, for example, in English, I can use the word love, uh, and that wouldn't necessarily... Uh, can, when I use the word love to describe like the way I feel about my car, it wouldn't necessarily carry all of the implications that love ever has. And b biblical words are the same way. You may only have one portion of the meaning in any one given verse. Yes, that's true. The context determines the, uh, which nuance the, the word is taking there. Well, the second word I'd like to suggest is uh, the word chokhmah, which usually is translated wisdom. 
and it occurs about 150 times in the Old Testament. The nuance is uh, know-how or skill or discernment. It can even have the idea of shrewdness, knowing how to handle situations and handle people. A couple of examples in, in the Bible. In Exodus, God gave uh, Basalel and uh, Aholiab, the, the two craftsmen that built the tabernacle, he gave them wisdom, uh, the skill to do all of that work. But the word comes up the most in the book of Proverbs, and the ideas show up in the epistle of James, uh, written in Greek. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is a task. Uh, for instance, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, wisdom says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Uh, you have to find it. You have to work for it. Unfortunately, it takes wisdom to get wisdom. The other side of it is wisdom is a gift. So in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, it says, uh, The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So wisdom is a quality of character as much as it is a quality of um, um, mind or thought. Well, we're, we're grateful for your uh, chokmah in uh, working with the biblical languages and uh, delivering that to us. That's really, uh, is that a good application there of uh, the word chokmah? We need to start using that like that? Uh, I'd rather stick with God's wisdom. <clears throat> uh, two other features that the book of Proverbs points out about wisdom is that um, it, it demands conversion. We can't s stay the way we are. In chapter 3, uh, it says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. So there's, uh, there's change that has to come if you're going to be wise, skillful, and shrewd. Wisdom also demands devotion. In chapter 8, Proverbs says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates waiting beside my doors. So it sounds like with those last two verses that it's a little bit like um, the command to, to love God with everything you have and everything you are. It, it requires uh, turning away from other loves, and then it requires total dedication hmm. to the Lord. Yes. Uh, wisdom takes practice. The longer you walk with God, the, the more of his uh, character you can see and, uh, and in one sense, take advantage of. Which is why we say that older we are to look to older people for wisdom, right? Because as they've walked with God in their lives, they've grown in wisdom. Yes, that's, that's one of the big differences between our culture and uh, biblical Hebrew culture. In Israel, it was uh, agricultural and pastoral society. And the longer you live in God's world, the better you understand how God runs it. But in an industrial society, the longer you uh, do something, the more out of date you are. So it's hard for us to pick up all of the nuances that the book of Proverbs is uh, presenting to us. So let's let's take uh, some of the, the, the not-so-spiritual dimensions of chokmah then, just the skill for, for doing a job. It would require things like apprenticeship, uh, doing the same thing over and over again, uh, learning from someone who, who knows what they're doing, walking with them in that. 
That, that, yes, that's understanding. true. And so then probably there's some spiritual application of that too, that we need to learn from people who have been around the block and we need to be apprenticed in the faith. That sounds good to me. Well, the uh, third word that uh, I brought for today is uh, the word yira, which uh, me is nor- normally translated fear. And it only comes up 44 times in the Old Testament. It mainly shows up in uh, the Psalms and in Proverbs. Fear is defined by its context. It can mean what we mean by fear in English. Uh, It can include terror, and uh, sometimes the word trembling shows up with it. But when it's talking about the fear of the Lord, it's not so much an emotion as it is a relationship. When you see uh, children performing, maybe singing in a choir or something, and they're up front, they'll look for their parents and want to wave at them. That's an aspect of fear. Or if you go to uh, a party and you want to catch the eye of that someone special, that's, that's a nuance that the fear of the Lord has. We respect and love and have... Um, in a lot of cases, have awe for God and, and, and want to t- uh, take him into account, want, want to be a, uh, aware of what he's interested in. That's a, that's a really interesting thing to me, to be thinking about those examples that you just gave, and then that you said that fear, this fear is not an emotion, but a relationship. That's just a lot for me to take in. That's a beautiful thing. One of the ways that it it strikes me is that that person who's special to you, who uh, you want to catch their eye, that parent or that special someone, that person has a a center of gravity that you're kind of being pulled around and you're responding to them, right? And certainly that's true with Yahweh. He wants to be the center of our gravity and he wants to to be pulling us into his uh, orbit, so to speak. Yes, uh, that's, that's very helpful to add. And in the case of uh, God, since he's all-powerful and all-knowing and involved in everything, there is a a, a fear has the element of awe and uh, great respect along with uh, personal interest. So at at least uh, we have to say when it's it's talking about the fear of God, it always includes an awareness of and a sensitivity to him, to that someone special in our lives. Will this be particularly attached to the idea that God is king and that he's uh, the sole ruler uh, over us? Yes, I think so. And um, in addition to that, he, he's also uh, loving and he cares for us. And um, I remember when my dad became a Christian and his whole personality changed, I uh, I had always been afraid of him in the sense of terror. But when he became a believer and uh, he began to really show love for me, I uh, had a respect for him and didn't want to hurt his feelings, didn't want didn't want to uh, break our relationship. I think that's a part of uh, godly fear, too, our respect and desire to please God. Wow, that's really great. Thanks, Roger. So this uh, this appears a lot in the book of Proverbs, uh, some of the more popular verses there. Any favorites from that? Yes, um, 
I'm wondering if my uh, previous student would uh, read some of those verses for us. I would love to. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Yeah, those are two of my favorites. That's great. I love the way some of those other verses talk about the relationship between the fear of the Lord and living. Uh, Proverbs 14 says that it's, a fountain of life that keeps us from the snares of death. And Proverbs 10 talks about the fear of the Lord being something that prolongs our life. Sometimes literally we avoid things that are really, really bad for us because we fear the Lord and we're walking in his ways. Yeah. And that, that made me think of um, uh, Isaiah 11, where uh, it's talking about the Messiah. And um, when you think of the Messiah, the savior of the world, it's going to be all-powerful, overcome all of the forces of evil. Uh, Isaiah eleven three says, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide uh, disputes by what his ears hear. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Imagine the Messiah who also has fear of the Lord. And that's got to be the special relationship, the, the special sensitivity to. Well, my uh, fourth word is the word davar, which normally is translated word. It's both a noun and a uh, verb in Hebrew. It's an action noun, and then it's also a verb. As a noun, it comes up about 1,500 times in the Old Testament. This is a big one. It starts out, in uh, the book of Genesis, God speaks the world into uh, existence. When God speaks, things happen. Devar means word, but uh, any kind of word. So an order, a command, an answer, a report, a promise, a warning, a message, uh, all of those uh, uh, translate davar. It can also be an, an occasion, a, a business, a task, an action, a deed. Uh, it can be as uh, watered down as something or anything. So Devar has a tremendous field of meanings. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Hebrew doesn't have any word for promise, but God gives his word and he keeps his word. So uh, Hebrew doesn't need the word promise. Wow. You know a person by their words. You don't know exactly what a person's actions mean until the person explains it to you. And Proverbs uh, talk a lot about words. Proverbs sometimes says that words can be powerful and change things. At other times, words can be weak. Uh, words uh, don't accomplish anything uh, when people use them. Words always accomplish something when God uses them. For instance, uh, Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word uh, be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So, Roger, when you have a word like this that carries a lot of different potential meanings, how do you sort, sort out which of those meanings is present in a given verse or passage? 
Uh, well, you can read through the book of Proverbs, and it'll help you understand that. But uh, one key factor is uh, the person that's using the word. When God speaks, it's always significant. Uh, the word has a, a, a big significance. When other people are using it, uh, it might be watered all the way down to something or anything. Let's take a couple of examples of uh, God uh, using a word. In Amos uh, 3, verse 7, it says, uh, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. There, uh, the ESV chooses the word uh, secret. The NIV, I think, uses the word plan there. But the Hebrew just says word. God doesn't do a word without revealing it to his prophets. In Ezekiel 37, uh, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord brings them back to life. Yeah, like I say, when God speaks, things happen. I guess the, the last thing I'd want to say about the word is uh, John is thinking Hebrew in uh, John chapter, uh, the gospel of John chapter 1. When he says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do you know God? Everything you need to know about God is in Jesus, because Jesus is the Word of God. God speaks to us through Jesus, and that's a powerful Word. That's very helpful to have that John uh, referenced because that is always a confusing verse to me. And so now to think of that, it's Jesus being that word and thinking back to that Hebrew word, that's very helpful. So Jesus is the Devar. He's the secret. He's the promise. He's the plan. Amen. That's beautiful. Thanks, Roger. Uh, Roger, we have a memory verse from the book of Psalms right now at the very end of Psalm 72. Uh, and this is the great Psalm about the Messiah. We saw in first Kings that that Messiah hasn't arrived yet. And now that we're in Advent, we're looking forward to his reign. And here's how uh, David's great prayer for his son uh, who would reign in his place concludes. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You want to give that a run in Hebrew? All right. Baruch Yahweh Elohim, Elohei Yisrael, Osei Nefal Ot Levado, Baruch Shem Kvodo, Laolam Vyemlo Kvodo et Kol Haaretz. Thanks so much, Roger, and thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.